Well, good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. And I'm assuming you can hear me because my microphone's got a little light on it. Anyway, uh, I finally set some time aside to do a live today. I meant to do one earlier. I was planning on doing around 8 o'clock. But the lawn needed to be mowed, and I got weeds taken over my front flower beds, and my daughter needed help with her car. And there's always something, uh, you know, that kind of gets in the way of these things. So I figured I should just suck it up and stay up a little later than I have been and uh, do a quick live and talk about some of the things that people have been either mentioning to me or asking me about. Um, if you look in the description of this live, it's kind of a, I don't even remember what I put. It's kind of a jumbled up mess of just topics that I've had on my mind in the last couple weeks. Let me just click the edit. Maybe I can see what it says. Yes, I can. So in the description, it says, so much news and so little time. The sound of freedom. $1.7 trillion. Forests on fire. Lives being lost. Man denied kidney transplant in Ontario due to COVID vac status. Now dead. From kidney failure. COVID booster uptake less than 8% of Canadians, yet we're not all dying. Was it really necessary to spend those billions promoting and purchasing the jab or building a rive can or millions spent developing a federal vax pass? I should have added, was it really worth spending millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of dollars through the Canadian Behavioral Sciences Department teaching Canadians to hate each other? Was it really worth it? Just wait until you see what's coming. You ain't seen nothing yet. So before I dive into any of that stuff, I just want to take a minute to uh, uh, acknowledge the work that our first responders, our servicemen and women are doing in this province. Uh, recently, one by the name of Ryan, a helicopter pilot, lost his life uh, fighting fires to keep us safe up near Peace River. Uh, it's unknown at this point what happened. But uh, he left behind a family. He was just a couple years younger than me. And uh, while the world keeps on turning for the rest of us, the family that was affected by that, their world has been shattered. And it's never going to be the same. So, um, you know, thank you, Ryan, for your service. And thank you to the families of service people who, who risk getting that news every day. And uh, to the servicemen and women who risk their lives for us. Uh, you're appreciated and we won't forget you. And Ryan isn't the only one. This year, I think there's already been <clears throat> four or five uh, deaths, people uh, fighting forest fires. One young man uh, in BC was only 19 years old, had a tree fall on him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's terrible to hear these things. But the world does keep turning. And I think uh, it's important that we acknowledge uh, the the people that are doing these things and the people that lose their lives and we don't forget. So there you have it. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you to Ryan's family for everything you've done for the province. Now, speaking of servicemen and women, uh, I recently went to see a movie. Yes, I know. You, you guys all probably know what movie I went to see. It was a fantastic movie. By the end of it, my my heart was kind of like in my throat. Uh, it really, it was a very moving film. 
Uh, it was called Barbie, and it was about Ken and Barbie. Just kidding. It wasn't actually. I'm not going to go see that. I don't have time for that stuff. No, the movie I went and saw was called The Sound of Freedom, and you probably have heard about it by now. It's a viral sensation. It's been talked about on almost every platform you can imagine. And it seems as though I'm one of the last to talk about it. Now, the reason for that is because I wasn't really prepared to talk about the film without having seen it. But interestingly enough, um, just the fact that I hadn't seen the movie and talked about it on my podcast yet was ammunition for some to insinuate that Again, I'm a government psyop or being paid to be opposition or something silly like that. That wasn't the case. I just don't have time to go to the movies. And actually, we went, we tried to go see the movie last Tuesday, uh, forgetting that theaters have cheap Tuesday nights and uh, the, the place was packed. We couldn't even get a parking spot. So we had to go a few days later. Anyway, so I went and saw The Sound of Freedom. And The Sound of Freedom is, uh, it's based on a true story. It's about a uh, cop by the name of Timothy. What was his last name? Last name escapes me, but someone can put it in the comments. Who rescued children from uh, sex trafficking rings from Colombia all the way into the United States. And, you know, we go see movies for the most part to forget about reality, to kind of just relax and live in a fantasy world for a couple hours, just enjoy the time there and, you know, just kind of participate that way. This was different. Uh, knowing this was based on a true story and that the people that were being portrayed in the film exist. Uh, they have family. They, they, they're alive to this day. That was very, I, I don't even know what the emotion was. Was it a, I'm, I'm not really big on emotions. I'm more, I've been described as a robot. And no, I'm not actually a robot or a lizard person. Um, so the emotional side of things is, is somewhat foreign to me. But I guess I would have to say that the emotion I felt watching that movie was lots of disgust, for sure. And this really horrible helpless feeling knowing that you know these things are happening all over the world all around us and there's there's really nothing i can do about it you know it's not like i can go and fix this problem we can talk about it we can bring awareness to it but i can't well at least i don't think i can personally fix it and that that's a hard thing to accept tim ballard that was his name tim ballard thank you very much to the dozens of people that uh, posted the the name so as I watch this movie, you know, we all know that these terrible things happen. They've been happening for thousands of years. They've been happening since the dawn of time. We know they happen and we don't talk about it. Maybe because we feel helpless and we can't do anything about it. Maybe just the topics are so horrible and so dark that we don't want to put our mind to it because then we are forced to feel things that we don't want to feel like when you realize that people were are buying and selling children for those things like that man it just it makes you feel sick 
the heck was that? So, so that was what the movie was for me. It was, uh, it was a forced acknowledgement that these things are happening. And then the way the movie was done, they brought that to life and they, they brought it to you and made you feel the things that those people would have felt and experienced the emotions that, that they, they felt to some degree. Uh, at the end of the film, there was a uh, message from the, the main character that was playing Tim Ballard. And he basically said, you know what? We, we made this movie five years ago. Um, and we tried to get it into production and, and out for people to see, but nobody would do it. Disney wouldn't do it. Netflix wouldn't do it. A whole bunch of these uh, outlets wouldn't do it. They had a real, they had a challenge to try and get this movie into theaters. And I'm sure there's a reason why, probably because this topic is just that uncomfortable, or maybe because that type of thing permeates that industry. Who knows? But it finally got out, and you know the movie came out, and it's affected a lot of people. Everybody's talking about it, but there also there are some people talking about it in a negative fashion, which I find really intriguing. Now, this kind of thing happens with almost everything we talk about these days. Almost everything we see, every politician, every topic, every everything that happens, there's always uh, a way to look at it that makes it look very suspicious. I had people comment and say that, uh, you know, this movie was witchcraft. It was casting spells on people to make them do things. And I'm a very firm believer that there never was anything such as witchcraft. There's science. There's science that we can't explain and we don't understand, but there's no witchcraft. And the example I would give you is, uh, you know, for thousands of years, there have been people that have used different types of crystals and stones as, uh, as healing mechanisms. And in many cultures, that's been considered to be a form of witchcraft, using crystals as healing. I would completely disagree. And the way, reason I say that is because as we advance as a species and we learn about ourselves and the universe around us, we realize, for instance, that all of our organs in our body, they resonate at a certain frequency. Um, things around us resonate at a certain frequency. And when we interact with them, it can cause changes within our own body. So why not then? Uh, could science not explain why people have, you know, reported to use different types of uh, rocks or crystals with different frequencies to affect their bodies? I mean, it makes sense. And looking at it from a scientific point, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's not witchcraft at all. It's just science that we didn't understand or were unable to explain at the time. So um, this idea that this movie is some sort of a spell that's being cast on people. I, I would disagree with that. I, I think that it's more of a, it's a really good production. It was a very good director and they knew exactly how to frame things to get the emotional response from us that they wanted. Now you, I'm not going to argue whether it was for a good reason or a bad reason. You know, the, the, the folks that believed that the movie was a good thing, they would say, well, yeah, they want people to have emotional responses to this film so that they talk about it and encourage other people to see it and we can deal with this problem. And on the other side, people are saying, well, 
they want you to have an emotional response to it. So you're distracted and forget about everything else. And so you're so emotionally involved in this topic that when it comes time to do something like, oh, let's say implant microchips in kids' skin to keep them safe for their own safety, we'll be willing to do it. I don't know what the purpose of that film was. I mean, of course, we're not in the minds of the producer, the director, the actors. But what I can say is the way it affected me personally is, uh, is that I, I want to encourage other people to go see it. I want other people to feel those things that I felt in the theater and think about these things so that we can start to formulate some sort of a solution. And what a hugely moment, monumentous task it's going to be. But the first step to fixing a problem is admitting that there is one. So that's what this movie is for me. It's a, uh, it's a very strong message that this problem does exist and it shouldn't be ignored. And if you frame this with what we see going on now, I would argue that it's very important that we start to become involved in things that affect our children in their schools, um, the community libraries they go to, their extracurricular activities, their summer camps, everything. We have this weird permeation of sexually charged activity being injected into children's activities. Why is that? Is it because we want our children to be inclusive? Well, our children can be inclusive without being sexualized. Our children can be inclusive and learn to accept everybody, uh, no matter how different they are, without watching some dude dance around in a bikini with his balls hanging out. Is that necessary to make or to encourage children to be inclusive? Or is there something else going on that we need to start speaking up about? Even worse, that there are some who want to do these things to children or expose children to these things. That's always been around. It's never going away. It's always going to be there. Even worse is that parents are sacrificing their children's futures in order to feel virtuous by participating in the virtue signaling act of the day. Oh, drag shows are popular. Let's take let's show how progressive we are by taking our kids uh, to a drag show. Eh, you know, the guy's shaking his balls in our faces. But whatever, it's just the human body. It's all natural, right? I don't know. I don't agree with it. And because I don't agree with it, I would encourage uh, other people who are of similar mind to me to start getting involved in these things. If you don't like drag shows in your kid's school um, and you haven't gone to a school board meeting, you're failing. If you don't like the idea of uh, drag shows infiltrating your municipality, and you haven't gone to a council meeting, I would say you're failing. And, you know, oh, shoot, I've done it again. I've already got myself in hot water. When I talk about drag shows, I'm not talking about the drag shows that adults would go to, have some drinks and enjoy themselves and, and watch the show. Those things are completely fine. I have no problem with it. What I do have a problem with is adult-oriented activities being... Um, uh, brought before children we shouldn't be doing that we wouldn't uh, take the strippers to our kids school and have them dance for our children because i mean we should be inclusive of strippers too right i mean they're people 
Why don't we have strippers at the school? We wouldn't do that because it's not appropriate. I don't have a problem with drag, drag shows or drag performers. I don't have a problem with trans people. And yes, by the way, there is a big difference between a drag performer and a trans person. And uh, if you don't already know that, you should probably uh, uh, do a little bit of reading on that. It's not the people. It's the, it's the groups that are using them to push their agenda. This whole trans, what's the word? It's a, this whole trans crusade or this, this wild alphabet LGBTQ plus 2S agenda that you see everywhere is not because those the people that are doing it want to be inclusive and want to not discriminate. It's because they're weaponizing that group of people's struggles, their trials and tribulation for political purposes. They don't, I really don't think the prime minister cares about uh, any particular gender ideology or people that participate in one or the other. I don't think he cares. I think he uses it as a weapon against conservatives to try and convince people to vote for him because voting for anything other than someone that marches in those parades, well, that means you're a bigot. It's completely false. It's gaslighting. It's it's this horrible perversion of 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 democracy and and acceptance. And people buy it. And then they take their kids to these shows and they allow grown men to dance around and shake their asses in their face. Do not agree with that. Anyway, um, you know, we know these things are going on and we're allowing it to come into our schools, into our homes, through the internet, through TV, whatever. And if we don't do something about it soon, we're going to be looking back in 20 years and wondering, well, not wondering, we're going to know why the things happened to our children that they did, and it's going to be our own damn fault. We'll have no one to blame but ourselves. So I think it's important we get involved now. Anywho, let's move on to the next controversial topic that's going to get me in hot water because I really enjoy being in hot water. That's not true. My hot tub's been down for, what, three years? And I don't really like hot showers. But anyway, okay, let's move on. Uh, the next point in my jumbled up mess of a description for this podcast was $1.7 trillion. Does anybody know what that number $1.7 trillion represents? I'll tell you. I don't want to sing the whole song. The estimate to transition our electricity grid in Canada to net zero by 20... Uh-oh. 30? Uh-oh. 2030? 2035? Something like that. $1.7 trillion, which is more than Canada's gross domestic product uh, estimated for 2023. That is a huge number. $1.7 trillion. You've heard, I'm sure, politicians use terminology like net zero at all costs. Carbon neutral at all costs, at all costs, at all costs. No cost is too high. We need to build back better. You've heard those things, right? A green new deal. Well, let me ask you something. If we're going to spend $1.7 trillion on something, should we not ensure before we do that, that it's necessary? 
if we spend $1.7 trillion on uh, achieving net zero in Canada, we're going to cause a lot of problems for a lot of folks. We're going to bankrupt a lot of companies. Uh, there's going to be... a Poverty is going to be like we've never seen before. The government's not going to be able to save you or anybody because they're not going to have the money to do it. It's going to be horrible. And I would say, if that's the only way to survive as a species was to do that, I guess the juice would be worth the squeeze. But in this conversation, it's not. This $1.7 trillion is based on the uh, fallacy that carbon dioxide is going to light the world on fire. So numbers and math and history don't support these things. The only thing that supports that idea is uh, climate models that have inputs by people with biases. Uh, for instance, maybe a, uh, a lab that is funded by uh, a green company or something like that. These climate models, they have, uh, you, can, you can change them. You can manipulate them to do whatever you want. You can show that CO2 is going to reach a tipping point and eventually it's going to be out of control and the earth's going to light on fire by 2016. Uh, thank you, Al Gore, for that analysis back in the early 2000s. That's what this $1.7 trillion is based on. That's what the $1.5 trillion to install air conditioning in the Arctic to make more icebergs so that the polar ice caps don't melt and, and submerge the old Maldives, that's what this is based on. But it, it isn't supported by reality. And the unfortunate part is that the woke left mob, the green loony enviro terrorists, have been so noisy and so annoying that our politicians have given in to them. Even in Alberta, um, our conservative government does not believe that CO2 is going to end the planet. They don't believe that we need to be net zero by 2030. And yet they play the game and pretend that we're going to do that because the, the mob will eat them alive if they don't. So now we have policy that's going to destroy the, the problems. Actually, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of interesting policy that our government's put forth lately uh, that plays this game and achieves the goals that the federal government wants to achieve, but actually increases Alberta's prosperity for a time. And I say this because, as we've seen over history, if you give an inch with the Enviro fanatics, they will take a mile. In Holland, they'll say, if you give a finger, they'll take your whole hand. And it's no different right now than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So let's get back to uh, this climate thing not being supported by science, history, math, or common sense for that matter. So the very the very data that the, the government or these green uh, organizations are using to support the idea that we need to spend $1.7 trillion to transition to net zero show the complete opposite. They tell you that there's a 1.4 degree Celsius temperature increase uh, due to human activity that we've seen in the last 250 years. And that may be true. But what they fail to mention is that even though there's been a 2.5 or 
degree C increase in that amount of time. If you expand that scale to say five or 10,000 years, courtesy of ice coring and other cool science, you'll find that we're actually colder. We're colder now and we have less CO2 now than before the industrial revolution. Now, our governments are very interested in, in uh, cow flatulence these days. So I guess they could argue that if there was enough dinosaurs, then they were flatulent enough that they could light the world on fire with their methane uh, through the greenhouse, greenhouse gases. But I think that's very unlikely. So it, this, the very science that they're using to tell you you have to pay a carbon tax, stop driving a car, live in a 15-minute city and eat crickets, tells you exactly the opposite. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of science out there, courtesy of my friend Alex Epstein, check out his book, Fossil Futures, uh, a moral case for using more oil and gas, not less. It can be argued that the planet actually responds very positively to our impact. I'll explain. Thousands and thousands of years ago, there was uh, lush forests and big plants and and the earth was very green. We know this because we found weird things like tropical plants in the Arctic. I mean, how would they get there unless the earth was warm there at one point? Um, there's evidence to suggest that animals were bigger, plants were bigger, and we had more CO2. I think it was uh, like five or six times what it is now. And the earth was warmer. Anyway, these plants, they died and they were, you know, there was things happen like possibly a big flood or whatever, natural events, and the organic matter that at one point absorbed that CO2, that massive amount of CO2 in our atmosphere, uh, became a hydrocarbon, became oil and gas. And then fast forward to current times, um, we discover this oil and gas, we extract it, we burn it for our uses, we take people out of energy poverty and improve the lives of billions of people with this oil and gas. And in doing so, we release CO2 that was at one point already in the atmosphere. Now, what happens when the atmosphere CO2 rises? Well, take a tour through your local greenhouse and you'll find that the plants grow bigger, better, faster, nicer because they increase the amount of CO2. So as we increase the amount of CO2 on the planet, the planet becomes greener. It makes more food and supports more people. In turn, we use more energy. We expend more CO2. The planet greens some more, makes more food. Maybe parts of the planet warm up. We can grow more food in more areas and support humans. It's completely contrary to the idea that we've surpassed the maximum amount of people that the planet should have, and we need to kill off six and a half billion people. The United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and the World Economic Forum tell you and me that the planet can't support more than 1.5 billion people, and we need to take steps to reduce the population. History tells a different story. Science and the data that we have right now tells a different story. It tells completely the opposite. It's almost as if the planet was created divinely so that humans could inhabit it and it would support human life until the end of time. That's what it seems like. That's what history shows us. But that's not what our government's basing policy on. Weird, right? What are they basing this policy on? Is it the same kind of thing they based... Uh, the billions and billions of dollars they spent on the COVID crusade on. And by that, I would say it's nothing but money. The green agenda is is no, it's, it's nothing more than a wealth transfer. You pay more carbon tax. Where does that go? Well, the government gets it. What does the government do with it? 
Well, they subsidize uh, companies, corporations that virtue signal and invest in green initiatives. They're moving the money from you to other people, um, no different really than, than a stock swing. You look at what happened with COVID and with the, with the jabs and all of those things. Look at the companies that made money. It was estimated that something like $43 billion over the course of the pandemic was transferred from the middle and lower cat class to the upper class. It's almost like these people are really good business people, but they're psychopaths and they don't care about anyone else, but they see an opportunity to transfer a crap ton of wealth from us. Why? Because we're weak and we're stupid. We don't pay attention and we're lazy and we just let them do this to us because it's easier to go along to get along. Oh, it's only two weeks to flatten the curve. We'll just get through it. Oh, it's only a year. We'll just get through it. Oh, it's only five years. We'll just get through it. Oh, it's only another four-year NDP government. We'll just get through it. Unreal. We're literally giving up, rolling over, and letting those psychopaths do these things to us. Well, I, for one, am not going to continue doing that. And uh, I've spent the last three years trying to figure out what we need to do to get ourselves out of this mess, and I think I've found it. And, of course, most of you on here know that I believe that Alberta needs to stand on its own, say enough is enough, have a referendum on independence and say, listen, if you basket cases are going to uh, take society off a cliff, we're not going with you. We're going to we're gonna prosper and we're going to be the place where the reasonable-minded people who don't want to sacrifice their freedom, prosperity, and futures can come uh, once they realize what you're doing to them. That's what I want to do. And uh, I hope we can encourage more people to come with us. That was way longer than I thought. I said this was going to be a quick live, and it's not a quick live. Hey, bud. Why are you... Uh... My son is floating on my window outside my... Yeah, I know. I'm moving on to my next point because I want to go to bed. It's late. Okay, $1.7 billion. Forests on fire. Uh, as I mentioned before, our uh, we've had a really bad forest fire season in this province. And you know what's happening is our planet is one way or another releasing CO2 back into the atmosphere. It's estimated that California, with their forest fires, released more CO2 into the atmosphere than they have saved in 20 years of sacrificing their freedom and prosperity with green initiatives. So did you catch that? This year alone, through forest fires in California, it is estimated that more CO2 was released into the atmosphere than California has saved by paying carbon taxes and green initiatives and all that stuff in 20 years. How much of an impact is human impact in, in the perspective of, of uh, nature? I actually forgot to mention when I was talking about that before, that our government is talking about spending $1.7 trillion dollars Transition to a net zero power grid, power model by 2030. Even though we only emit 1.5% of global emissions, it doesn't make any sense. The juice is not worth the squeeze in that scenario, especially considering that the world's largest emitters, China and India, of which we, we are not going to be able to tell them what to do, uh, they have targets of 2060 and 2070. 
Why is it that Canada, with 1.5% of global emissions, is willing to sacrifice our prosperity and our futures it to the tune of $1.7 trillion to achieve something by 2030 that is going to make no impact to, to, to global uh, emissions? Zero. None. As a matter of fact, it's probably going to make things worse because as we do that, as we transition away from our ethical oil and gas here in Alberta, here in Canada, uh, we can't supply that oil to the world anymore. We can't supply that energy to the world anymore. So the world begins to take their energy, buy their energy from other countries like China and Russia and actually yeah, India and Saudi Arabia. Now, are they as good of stewards of the environment as Canadians are? I don't think so. I know, I know they're not. Absolutely. So we're going to stop powering the world to get rid of 1.5% of global emissions. And we're going to transfer the energy consumption that we take care of right now to countries that are not going to do it. It doesn't make any sense at all. It, I don't, I don't get it. Actually, I do get it because it's all about money. Um, you might think I sound like a conspiracy theorist when I say those types of things, but I'm I'm going to mention another thing that should at least get you asking questions. If our government was making policy to our benefit, accounting for regional differences and cultural differences and our rights and our freedoms, should they not look different than policies that we see from halfway across the world or all the way across the world? Should we not have policies that are different from, say, Sri Lanka or Germany or um, Holland? They should be different because our the way we do things is different. Our environment is different. But the policies are the same. They're cookie cutter. What does that tell you? How can it be that governments like ours, federal government in Canada, is making policy and law to our benefit if those policies and those laws and those regulations are coming from an organization that's external to our own experts and our own democracy. That should at least give you the desire to ask some questions, even if you don't agree with me. So well, I don't even remember what we're talking about. Let's move on. Ah, forest fires. So our, our forests are burning down. How could this be prevented? What did we do differently in years gone by that we don't do now? Well, we cut a lot more trees down before. We had, well, I would actually, you know what? In the beginning, we were kind of shitty. We just cut down everything and we ate everything and we consumed everything. They still do that in parts of the world, but we've learned lessons here. We don't do that anymore. We have some of the most brilliant forest management in the entire world in this country, specifically in Alberta and British Columbia. We are really, really good at managing our forests. Now, we've burnt tens of thousands of hectares of forest that we could that we could have used we could have extracted those resources developed those resources uh use them to supply the world with the resources they need and our and ourselves and in doing so we would have actually had a net positive climate impact if you consider co2 to be a pollutant which i don't I certainly would say that the smoke particles that are making everyone sneeze and their eyes water uh, are a pollutant. We should do something about them. So, you know, 
imagine if we had a, a awesome energy resource in Alberta, like oil and gas that we could use to harvest forests and manage them effectively. So we didn't have hundreds of thousands of hectares of forest burning every year. It's a win, 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 win from no matter which way you look at it. The environmentalists who tell us we can't cut down trees, we can turn around and say to them, hey, you know what? Maybe, we, maybe we're cutting down more trees, but those trees would have been burnt anyway if you look at history. We've always had forest fires. When I was a kid, I remember going to nature centers and looking at the tree rings and, and they were explaining how, oh, they can tell that this year there was forest fires and this year there was forest fires. And they would tell us kids that that's a cycle. That's how nature cleans itself up. There's always these forest fires. And as, as human beings, we're supposed to master that and and figure it out so that we can work with it um, and not and, and we can coexist by you know not having our houses burned down in a forest fire. Anyway, we're not doing that. We've catered to a woke ideological mob who chains themselves to trees. Now the trees are gone anyway. We have smoke everywhere, and we are lacking the resource that we would have otherwise used to enrich people's lives in this province and this country. Well, let's continue on. Speaking of which, continuing on, I'm really continuing on without uh, looking at the comments too much because I'm getting really into this talking thing. But if you do have questions, please put the, a bunch of question marks up on it and I'll do my best to go through it and, and pick out some questions. So let's see, what else did I write in that uh, little verbal hodgepodge? Ah, speaking of lives being lost, uh, there was a man in Ontario needed a kidney transplant. I believe he was a father, family man. Uh, he was denied his kidney transplant because of his vaccine status. He's dead. He died. Here in Alberta, we have a lady by the name of Sheila Annette Lewis. She needs a lung transplant, and she has been denied her lung transplant by AHS because she has refused the COVID jab. I really need someone to explain this to me. And please, if you are one of those people that say they have rules for this and they need to make sure the patient outcome is great uh, so that you, you have to have all of these vaccines, even the ones that don't work, even the ones that cause my myocarditis and uh, have your friend's husband end up in the hospital having random heart attacks for no reason, even though he's in his late 30s. They have to do all those things. Otherwise, they can't have a lung transplant. Somebody please explain that to me. Please say that to me because I'll tell you that one of my friends just happens to be the man who pioneered heart and lung transplant surgery in Alberta, performed over 700 of them, sat on the panels that decided which patients are going to get uh, transplants and which are not. And he says that what they're doing right now is completely ludicrous and it's killing people and it has no basis in science. None at all. Now, this isn't just a burger flipper. This is a man who's done 700 heart and lung transplants. He knows his shit. So again, I'll ask, is there anybody that can explain to me why it would be that Alberta Health Services and Ontario Health Services would refuse people life-saving medical intervention because they refuse to take a non-life-saving medical intervention that carries risks. I'm going to wait. Ah, Dale's got it. 
Oh, somebody commented Sheila's case has been reversed. I didn't know that. This is a first for me. I'm really glad I did the live tonight because uh, if that is in fact the case, that's very exciting. Another person, uh, son-in-law needs a kidney transplant and he has to have a jab before they put him on the list. If you recall, uh, I did do a live a little while ago and I kind of spoke about why this is happening, why, it, how this is all about money and power. So I, I let the cat out of the bag and I told you fine Facebook folks that the reason this stuff happened to us is because years ago we gave up our sovereignty over our own medicine, over our own health. We agreed uh, to follow the rules of the CDC and in turn now WHO and what the pharmaceutical companies wanted us to do in order to get cheap drugs. That's a deal that this country and these provinces made to support socialized healthcare. We do what they say. They give us drugs at 90% discount. We can afford socialized healthcare and we can say, hey, we're the best country in the world because we've got free healthcare. That's how it works. So when it came time uh, to deal with this pandemic, there were politicians that would never have done these things except for they were reminded that we have contractual obligations to pharmaceutical companies that say we have to follow their rules. If the CDC says we are going to deal with this pandemic by locking everybody in their homes, that's what we do. Otherwise, we don't get our discount anymore. So yeah, it is about money. It's about power. But worse than that, it's about a softening of our of our desire to be free because we're just so happy being comfortable. What did you tell your friends in the schoolyard when they said something or told you to do something and you didn't want to do it? It's a free country, right? That's what we said. We were always comfortable with that. Hey, Chris, have you? maybe you should consider getting involved in your city council or politics or whatever um, so that the government can't become tyrannical and close your business because of no reason, just because they want to. Oh, that'll never happen. We live in a free country. I'll let the politicians deal with that. That's what we did. We gave up. And I guess you could say that, uh, soft, or how, how, how does it go? Good times made soft men. I think it goes something like good times make soft men, soft men make hard times, and hard times make strong men. So, if you understand what that means, when things are good, we just become complacent and lazy and we're willing to give up our freedoms and our rights in the name of comfort and convenience because we really don't know any better. Well, that's what's happened in this case. And now we have Alberta Health Services that's making and Ontario Health Services that's making decisions like this that's actually killing people. And it seems as though there's very little we can do about it. But alas, there is something we can do about it. We can stand up and say, enough is enough. If you guys want to go down that crazy anti-human path that is not founded in reality, we're not going with you. Oh, we're going to have to pay more for our drugs? That's fine. Because you know what? Right now, we send $27 billion a year more to Ottawa than we get back. We can afford it. We can do it. We don't have to exist in this twilight zone of 
anti-science and anti-human thinking. It's not necessary. Questions? I see question marks. Uh, so the convoy stood up for the mandates uh, for us. They, oops, where is it? So the convoy stood up for the mandates for us. They dropped the mandates, but now you need shots if you need surgery. Did we win? We got to start jumping on toes. Good question. Did we actually win? I would say we won in some regards. We kind of lit the world on fire for freedom, for sure. Um, but everything that existed prior to the convoy that allowed these things to happen, it's still there. The CMOH in each province, at least for sure Alberta, and I'm sure the other provinces as well, still has the authority to uh, take any property, public or private, and use it to advance their task of ensuring the health and safety of Albertans. So if the CMOH in your province decides your house is in the right spot for a vaccine clinic, well, they can take it and do that. Like, there's so many instances where we have allowed the government to take our rights and freedoms away in the pursuit of whatever they want to pursue, backed by activist judges that want to please the government so they continue with their appointment. It's, it's throughout all of our legislation. And it all comes down to the supreme law of Canada, which is supposed to be the law that protects our rights and freedoms, with that pesky little piece at the beginning that says you're guaranteed these rights and freedoms unless demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. Well, I know one of the men that drafted that document. His name is the Honorable Brian Peckford. He was the Premier of Newfoundland from 19... Oh boy. 76 to 80... 79 to 86? I can't remember. For quite some time. And he offered to be... He offered to testify at my trial because as many of you know, I was arrested for protesting uh, and I'm being... I'm still in court because I protested the government's policy. He told me that he would be happy to testify at my hearing and tell the judge that no, section one was not meant to be interpreted in the way they're interpreting it. It was for insurgents, acts of war, those types of things that threaten the security of the country. Not a cough, not a cold, not the flu, not Ebola, none of those things. It was never meant to be used like that. You know what the court said? You know what the judge said? They, weren't, they wouldn't allow the Honorable Brian Peckford to testify on my behalf or anyone else's behalf for that matter because he wasn't an expert witness and he didn't have standing to discuss the topic. A man whose signature is literally on the piece of legislation that all of our rights and freedoms is based on. How do you win in that system? You don't. So, did we win? Yeah, we won personally, we won for our friends and neighbors, but the reality is we didn't change any of the things that exist that could put us in that situation again. So we got a lot of work to do, but I have an idea how we can do it. Ah, here is a great one. Maria, thank you for this question. Been waiting for this question all night. And I actually wish I had another hat so I could change my hat. I'd put on my APP hat. How do we get Daniel Smith? 
uh, two L's and an E at the end. Daniel Smith, call a referendum on independence for Alberta. Well, we show up. In Alberta, we have legislation called the Citizens Initiative Act. And that says that if we can get um, on a constitutional matter, it has to be 20% of the electorate to sign a petition asking for a referendum. They have to call a referendum. Now, they call it on their own time, but the government will have to do it. So if tomorrow we got 600,000 Albertans to sign a petition saying, we want to have a referendum on independence. We want to give the provincial government the leverage they need, the mandate they need to negotiate with the federal government to improve things uh, for, for us in this province, or we're leaving. They'd have to do it. It's it's the people that's going to do it. So uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm involved with an organization called the Alberta Prosperity Project. Now, the Alberta Prosperity Project was born in a uh, shop in Nisku a couple of years ago, kind of under the cover of darkness, like some secret World War II resistance meeting, La Resistance. And the idea was that we needed to do something apart from politics. We needed to change. We needed to, we needed to build a parade in this province that the politicians would get in front of. Ralph Klein once said, uh, if you want to win in politics, you you create a parade and get in front of it or find a parade and get in front of it. Well, the Alberta Prosperity Project wants to become that parade because we know that the only way to fix all of these problems is to stand up and say enough is enough. We have to do it as, as a province. Um, so our, our goal is to educate, inspire, and inform Albertans as to the merits of independence. Uh, the rationale behind independence, like how we get there, and then what happens afterwards. So it's a full meal deal. Um, now, to accomplish something of this magnitude, we did see this in Quebec, by the way. Do you remember that in 1990? To accomplish something like this, it's not going to be polit politicians that do it. Daniel Smith and UCP or even the NDP, they can't say, hey, uh, we want... We want leverage to negotiate with the federal government. We want to fix our position within Confederation. Give us the mandate to do that by asking us for a referendum. They just they just can't do it. Because I don't think enough people are educated as to how this works. Still to this day, I have people screaming at me about uh, being landlocked, even though the idea of uh, us being landlocked, when I explain the reality of it, that we're policy locked, it's really a reason why we should have a referendum. We should have a referendum on independence because we're in the middle of this country and we need access to Tidewater. We can't get access right now. So what do we do to get access? We improve our leverage. We improve our negotiating position with a referendum on independence, right? So that's how, that's how we get Daniel Smith to call a referendum on Alberta independence. First off, we educate Albertans as to why we need that referendum. That's the job of the Alberta Prosperity Project, uh, of which I am the interim CEO. We also, in, in addition to that, we need a group that is working on that referendum campaign, that's working on getting enough uh, a database built of people who would vote yes, so that when we're ready, we simply go to Elections Alberta and say, we want to do this. We can do it in the 60 days or 90 days or whatever it turns out after the premier is done amending it like she promised. 
and then we do it and then they have to call a referendum so if you want to know more about that go visit uh, www.albertaprosperityproject.com and a lot of those questions are answered uh, and on that note if you believe that we need some leverage and negotiating power so we can fix these things please become a member as that membership grows uh, so does our voice and you know that 20 bucks or 40 bucks you spend on a membership it's going to be used well that mem that membership money is going to be used to advance uh, the prospect of our of alberta independence which as of right now is the single most important thing we can do because it's the only solution that will fix all of the things we've talked about uh, okay next off uh bunny i understand you need the jab to get a transplant but donor doesn't then they want you to sign for your organs to be donated is that because they just want your organs so there's more to the story about that fellow that died in ontario and the worst part of that story is after he passed uh he received a call from uh, ontario health or whatever asking his wife if they could harvest his organs can you believe that now here's a real tricky ethical dilemma there's a movement growing across this country and uh the, the idea is if they're gonna refuse organs to people who refuse the job then maybe we should not donate our organs i understand why people would be inclined to do that but i don't agree with that and that's because at the end of the day regardless of how bad the policy is regardless of how shitty people are being treated for their stand uh, against an unwanted medical intervention our organs can save a lot of lives when we die and are we willing to are we willing to take away another human being's opportunity at life so we can make a point i don't know i it doesn't sit well with me i don't agree with it uh, i would understand if somebody felt the other way and i i wouldn't you know, i wouldn't feel i wouldn't be mad at them or anything like that but for me i just think it's too important of a thing um to be politicizing it that makes any sense anyway um yeah that is true you don't have to be jabbed to donate your organs only to receive one and the reason for that is because they're saying that uh the the transplant programs have to have the highest possibility of success and the only way to do that as the science says, it doesn't actually, it is to make sure that you're fully vaccinated for everything. Or maybe it's because the CDC and the pharmaceutical companies say, hey, uh, you should probably have all of the, be up to date on all your vaccines to make sure that your anti-rejection drugs work. Oh, PS, we'll give you the drugs cheaper if you follow our rules. Okay. Uh...
I'm just looking for some questions here. So Shelly asks, when is Art's court case? I have no idea. I think he's sometime in August and it's not a court case, it's sentencing. But I believe he's appealing. August 9th. Whatever happened to Brian Peckford? Brian Peckford is an old dude. His health isn't the greatest. He's supposed to be retired. And he spent the last three years traveling all over the country um, trying to wake people up and explain to them that they shouldn't let their rights and freedoms go away. So I think Brian is still doing, pardon me, Mr. Peckford is still doing his uh, podcast. What is it called? The I think it's called The Peckford Files or something like that. But you can find him online. He writes a lot. He does a lot of uh, emailing and articles for other stuff. But I really think, and I hope, that he's enjoying his time on beautiful Vancouver Island uh, in, in his retirement. He deserves it. And you know what? He, he shouldn't have to be doing the things he's doing. Um, it should be us younger folks doing it, but, uh, it is what it is. Anyway, that's, that's all I know. I did see him in Victoria and it was, he was, uh, speaking at the, we unify conference. <clears throat> so when a worker isn't cutting it in the job, the boss fires him and gets a replacement. Any ideas how we can, how any ideas we can do now to fire fancy socks? Yeah, absolutely. Have a referendum on Alberta independence. You're fired. And you know what? I, I like Pierre Polivare. I don't think he's a PSYOP or controlled opposition or a WF plant or any of those things. I think he's a regular person, but there is no man, woman, or child in Justin Trudeau's case that can be the prime minister of this country without the support of Eastern and Central Canada. And the only way to get those that support, as we've seen in the last 119 years, is to um, piss off the West. And that's what will happen. So there is a way to fire Ottawa. And uh, at the very least, there's a way to ensure that Ottawa stays the hell out of our business as the constitution demands. And that's a referendum on independence. Uh, interesting. Has anyone started this petition? No. And the reason for that is the petition only has 90 days. So in three months, you have to get 600,000 signatures. So what's being done now is we're building a database of people who would support that petition. So when it comes time to uh, roll it out, it can be done in a matter of weeks instead of months, which is what it would take. Almost impossible to get a referendum. Definitely not impossible. Not at all. And I'll tell you why. Anything is possible if enough people show up. Anything is possible if enough people get involved and get this information out to Albertans. At the Alberta Prosperity Project, that is the entire goal. It's not to be in politics. It's not to do anything like that or support politics. It's to educate Albertans as to why we need that referendum. So with, with Alberta Prosperity Project doing what they're doing, um, groups like uh, Take Back Alberta, 
they're they're teaching people how to become involved in politics and and take over politics. That's amazing. Imagine if every political appointment in this province was filled with somebody who believed in rights and freedoms and 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 that's and that sort of thing. Imagine if it was all filled with us like-minded people. Well, TBA is teaching people how to do that, and they've been quite successful at it. Uh, there's another group that's about to get fired up again, and it's called Take Back Our Freedoms. So that was started by a friend of mine uh, by the name of Roy Bear and uh, another friend of mine named George Bears. Uh, Brian Peckford actually used to be the CEO of that organization. Now, Take Back Our Freedoms, they're working on a lot of the advocacy stuff. So we've discussed some problems uh, that need solutions. And while we're working on the ultimate solution, which is an independent Alberta, there has to be someone that's advocating, right? Specifically for, for things we've talked about. And in addition to that, uh, how about the four men that are still locked up in, in jail for protesting at Coots? 500 530 days or something with no trial. Lives have been destroyed. They've already served almost two years in jail without a trial, without as innocent men, because you're innocent until proven guilty. They need advocacy. Um, you know, the kids that are being exposed to the things they're being exposed to because of woke, idiotic city councils and governments that are lacking the testicular fortitude to speak up for truth, you know, there has to be an organization that's speaking up for these those people and, and take back our freedoms uh, is, is one of those organizations. So all of these things work in concert. And because these things are happening, I will say 100% that the referendum on independence is possible. It's plausible. And actually it's probable because we're going to see more people want to get involved. More people are going to need a landing pad when they see the federal government continue infringing on the rights and freedoms. And we're going to be that platform uh, when they're ready. What else we got here? I have another, oh, actually I have minus 20 minutes because I was going to be done at 11, but I'll give 10 more minutes. It's 1120 right now, 10 minutes. Uh, Harry Ludwig says, I tried APP, but never heard back. So Harry, please uh, visit the website, use the contact form and send an email and I will personally reply to it and answer whatever questions you have. And I apologize that you didn't hear back. The Alberta Prosperity Project throughout the election was working with a real skeleton crew. Um, <clears throat> everybody was focused on on the election and, you know, things weren't moving as smoothly as we wanted them to. But that's changing. And you're going to see some big things happening this year. Uh, I'm the wrong guy to write the petition. I can tell you if it looks good, but I think my friends uh, Jeff Rath and Mr. Leighton Gray would be much better suited to work on something like that than me. Oh, ah, how convenient. They're actually involved with the Alberta Prosperity Project, uh, and they're drafting that petition. So there you go, Maria Wall. Thank you very much for reminding me. Ah, Brenda, bingo. Lots of countries are landlocked. We're supposed to have the right to get to tidewaters. Isn't that interesting? As an independent nation, Alberta could simply say, hey, Canada, you signed international law, an international treaty that guarantees us access to Tidewater. So what's going on here? 
um, and their daddy, the United Nations, the ones that were standing up against would be the ones that told them that they would, they would have to allow us access to Tidewater. So you see how standing up on your own and saying enough is enough uh, oftentimes is the solution to your problems. Uh, exactly, Brenda. What if it was your child who needed an organ? Or what if it was, you know, your your neighbor's child that needed an organ and you took yourself off the organ transplant list because you were upset with government policy? I just, I don't think the outcome would be what we would want as uh, compassionate human beings. Yes, Don, say it loud. And you did say it loud because it's in all caps, so I'll read it. Climate change is a cruel hoax on our children. Yes, it is. I'm not afraid to say it. Climate, The climate change agenda and argument is the single biggest threat to our kids' futures, bar none. No, it's not that the earth is going to lay down fire. No, carbon dioxide is not the single greatest threat. No, Teresa Tam, ableism, heteronormativity, uh, those types of things are not uh, threats to the climate. The real threat is that the climate agenda is going to strip away prosperity to the point where our children have none. So good on you for mentioning that. Uh, any more questions? Bakash Kumar, go away. Uh, what about giving blood? Do you have to be vaccinated? No, you don't. As a matter of fact, there was an initiative started a few months ago. I don't know what happened with it, but they actually started some unvaccinated blood banks. I don't even like saying that word. Unjabbed, unintervened, unnecessarily blood banks is what it would be. Just a second. I'm just going to ban this uh, Bikash Kumar piece of shit who's trying to scam you all. Bye. Uh, wow, he's really on it. I hope nobody actually falls for those things. Life isn't fair. Nope, it's not fair. It hasn't been fair since we left the Garden of Eden, and it won't be fair until the earth is done. We need independence for Alberta. Absolutely. So that's uh, something that's been a sticky point for people throughout the last couple of years. People say, oh, we can't talk about independence. We need to talk about sovereignty. And I'm going to explain the difference. If we had all of the sovereignties intact that were guaranteed under the Constitution of Canada, Constitution Act 1982, uh, we'd probably be okay because the federal government wouldn't be allowed to intrude to the point they are right now. And I don't know, maybe they would figure out a way to do it. But if we were allowed to exercise our sovereignty in all of those areas, we'd be okay. Sovereignty and independence are different. We can be sovereign as a province while um, standing with the other provinces. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can chart our own course in healthcare, taxation, uh, employment insurance, entitlements, all those types of things, CPP, or not CPP, pension plan. We can be sovereign in those areas while working together within another group. However, when that sovereignty is not respected or even allowed, the only 
alternative is to stand independent because why would we give up our ability to to chart our own course to build our own futures um, if the future that's being built for us is a steaming pile of dung right four minutes can we join the database now that's an excellent question and I will direct you to www.albertaprosperityproject.com. Um, I'll get some information. We will get some information on there. However, um, this is—it's going to be a different—it's—it's it's going to be a different initiative uh, that's working on that because we have a goal of educating Albertans, and there's going to be another group that has a goal of um, achieving this, getting the petition done, getting the referendum on the table. So stay tuned for that. And as a matter of fact, uh, you can get involved. Um, there's some job postings relating to this kind of stuff on the website right now. Good idea. Get our ducks in a row. Yes. Ducks in a row is fantastic. <clears throat> huh. Did you see Trudeau duck down in the Belleville protest pretending to shake hands with the toddler protesters were heating up and the coward had to find a way to hide so obvious do you actually feel bad for the guy no i don't i really don't he's a tyrant he's destroyed thousands of lives he's been uh an, ex an accessory i don't know if i can say that online because maybe i'll get a charge but he has been complicit in massive harm and death to the canadian people in a time when he should have been doing everything he could to protect Canadians, uh, he was patting his wallet and taking talking points from others who were doing the same, and it harmed this country. So no, I don't feel bad for him at all. And I did see it, and I, I, uh, I may have watched it twice. Two more questions. Two more questions. Yahoo, Maria says. Yes, Yahoo is right. Climate change is a de-industrialization initiative. It is. And they've even said as much. Build back better implies that something has to be destroyed first. Oh, Bikash Kumar was blocked. Oh, no more scamming. Oh, well. Well, there's no more questions. I'm going to look at the description I put, see if there's anything else I wanted to touch on. And by golly, there is. Can anybody tell me what the percentage of Canadians that are up to date on their boosters is? I'll tell you, it's 8%. 8% of Canadians are taking a medical intervention that the government tells us if we don't take, everyone's going to die. But is everybody dying? They are not. Weird, right? 
It's almost as if the whole thing was a lie. Actually, it's even worse than a lie. It was the exact opposite of what they said. They said, we need to do all these things to, oh my goodness, I just had an epiphany. Do you remember hearing, we need to protect the healthcare system. We must protect the healthcare system. They weren't lying. They were protecting the healthcare system. They were protecting it by ensuring that they continued to meet their contractual obligations to drug companies that were giving them discounts so large that they could afford a healthcare system. Wow. But what do I know? I just pour coffee for a living. Anyway, 8% of Canadians are taking this. No, uh, People aren't dying. However, there's an interesting thing happening right now. Do you remember the, the term excess deaths? At one point, the government was quoting 13,900 and some odd excess deaths in Canada. And they were saying, these are all COVID people. These are all people dying from COVID. More people are dying than have ever died before from COVID because of COVID. Well, that was a lie. Even the Alberta government admitted that 95% of the people that they said died from COVID simply died with COVID. And the number of people that died from the disease was way, way less in the double digits in a province of 4 million people, 4.8 million people. So numbers are telling an interesting story. Now, 2023, and our excess deaths are higher. They're higher than that. They're 22,000 something, 20, 23,000 something already halfway through the year. And there is, I'm not going to say that it, they're, they're related uh, for sure, but there is a temporal correlation between when boosters were rolled out and excess death. You can argue with anything you want, but you cannot argue with numbers. I'll leave that for you folks to decide what it means. Anyway. Two minutes over. Sorry, folks. It's bedtime. Uh, thank you all for sticking around and listening. It's been a blast. It's been fun. And I'll try and do it again. Um, hopefully soon. Actually, this Wednesday, ah, don't forget, this Wednesday, we have an Alberta Prosperity Project webinar, uh, and that will be live streamed to both the Alberta Prosperity Project Facebook page and the Whistle Stop Cafe Facebook page. So tune in for that. It will be at 7 p.m. And if you check uh, either of our Facebook pages tomorrow, you'll find the info as to who the guests are and what the topics are. I suggest you tune in and I suggest that you treat the APP webinars Wednesdays at 7 p.m. just like you used to treat episodes of Friends. You plan your life around it. It's on at 7 p.m. You got to be home to watch that show. Is it because there's interesting characters? Well, actually, yes, there's very interesting characters. But more than that, it's a reality. It's it, it's it's reality. It's uh it's working towards a solution for things that we all want to fix. So what could possibly be more exciting uh, than hearing from people 
who have ideas on how to do just that. I think it's even more exciting than hearing Phoebe sing uh, with a cold in her raspy jazz voice. I'd rather listen to my friend uh, Dennis any day. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks again. Maybe I'll talk to you tomorrow. How do I do this again? It's been a long time. There's a button here. Brand. What do I press? Ah, good night.